Hi, everybody, and welcome to Humanity First. Um, we have a special guest who has actually been on the show a few times, so people will be very familiar with Jill's voice, Jill Connell from Community Living and Day Supports. Welcome. Thank you. So we haven't been on for a while. I thought it would be a really good idea to catch up because I think there are some changes that are happening in, in, the, um, in the DD world. And um, as usual, you're at the forefront of that. And, you know, just so everybody knows, we're getting ready to give testimony, which Jill has been putting together for the rates, which is the lifeblood of this organization in terms of um, making sure that we have the right rates to hire the right people. And uh, an awful lot of work is, is going into that at the moment. And we can report on our success about that as we go forward. But I thought it would be a good idea to have a little conversation about a couple of things, actually. First of all, um, I don't know if people know, but in this side uh, of the service delivery system, we are governed by some consent decrees. Those are um, legal decisions that are made um, because the federal government has sued the state and the state has agreed to do uh, whatever they're asking uh, rather than being fined or, or being held accountable. So that's what they mean by consent. And there's two or three of those that we abide by um, in the developmental disability world. There are other ones in the kids' world, which is the Community Behavioral Health Initiative or ROSI-D. So a lot of this stuff, a lot of stuff that we do is often uh, governed or overseen by legal action that's, that people have taken against us. It's a sad thing in a way that we have to be made to do the right thing as a state, uh, but it's pretty typical in the United States that legal companies will file claims on behalf of the federal government. So that's what we're under now. Um, and But I also see a changing um, landscape in a way that we're moving into uh, requests for a different kind of business. And, and that really is the business of um, finding placements for what we call sort of transitional age youth, this notion of people who are transitioning from adolescence into adulthood. And there's a huge amount of um, literature on this. Jeffrey Arnett out of um, uh, Worcester um, it, uh, has written a lot about this, about what that period is. And, of course, it has very... Uh, strong implications for people who are on the DD side. Um, so, so Jill, start of, us off by, I guess I would ask this question, the consent decrees, do we need them? Have we done everything that we should have done? Are there people uh, along that continuum who, who get missed out? Is this a safety net that has worked well for Massachusetts in taking care of people and putting them in the community rather than in institutions and nursing homes? Mm-hmm. Yes, um, so we have served individuals who were Ritchie class ma- action members, rolling class action members, and more recently the Hutchinson class action members. And um, all of those were really important um, class action lawsuits that uh, identified a gap in service delivery that was really needed um, when I entered this field right out of college. Um, I was working in employment supports, and there was uh, a man who was about 60 years old at the time, and he grew up in a state institution. And when they closed down the state institutions, he moved into a nursing home. And this, this man was so vibrant and was full of life, great sense of humor, um, competitively employed, and he was living in a nursing oh. home surrounded by people who 
were really ready to die. Um, and the the state then was obligated to place him in a um, community-based home. And I had the privilege of being his guardian and seeing him transition from a nursing home into the community and how that really opened up his independence and his friendships and his connection to the community. Um, because prior, he was really dependent on me as the one person to be that um, connection to the community. So, um, you know, I have that personal experience of really seeing the impact of these class action lawsuits. Um, so I do think they play uh, an important role. And I still think, um, you know, that really is the, the driving force of, of who we prioritize for our services, Um you know, we sit down in meetings and we say that this person's a class action member and, and we are obligated to support them. So it is really important. Um, as far as kind of the, the gaps that still exist, um, there is um, to be a uh, Hutchinson class action member and qualify for the ABI um, or MFP, which is the Moving Forward Program. Um, you need to have a 90-day stay in a nursing facility. And for some parents or loved ones, that's heartbreaking to, to consider putting your loved one in a, in a nursing home to qualify that person for community living. Um, so it is really hard. So it is something that um, I think we could look at and, and see if there's another avenue to qualify these, these people who – um, need a support in the community, a, a home environment, but um, you know we don't want to have them spend ninety days in a facility to uh, qualify. Yeah, especially after, for instance, you've had an acquired brain injury or something, mm -hmm. your life changes so dramatically, and to get to where you need to be, you have to go through what I can only imagine for a young person who is confused anyway because of the the injury and incapacitation to deal with that is just almost unthinkable. It makes you wonder how on earth do, and why do we come up with some of those rules and we should be questioning them all the time, I think. Mm -hmm. um, we have a personal connection at Bamsey with Hutchinson, right? Yes, yes. She was um, the class action namesake and um, she was the first person um, to move into uh, South Precinct, which is a home that we, we um, run. Um, she unfortunately passed away, um, and but there was recently a, a beautiful article that the um, the Brain Injury Association of Massachusetts did on her in her in the recent newsletter, and it really um, highlighted the legacy that she she had. Um, but yeah, you know, she was a wonderful woman and strong advocate. She presented at the White House. Mm -hmm. um, yes, she yeah. was missed. <laughs> I don't know if Jill will get mad with me for this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, you know, you're incredibly connected to so many people um, that we serve, and you've had incredible length of service doing this. You said it, I think it was like as a teenager you became an employment specialist. Well, you know, five a while ago. ago. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, last week we had our person served advisory committee, and um, you were looking. We were all looking at a training video that the person served had done. Mm -hmm. Um, to, um, you know, just to sort of say, well, th this is how we want to be 
treated and and it was it was it was incredibly moving for me mm -hmm. who'd never seen it before and in fact a couple of our folks were actually in the original film from seven mm -hmm. years ago but a significant number of those people are no longer with us and I, I could see you were trying to hold it together because yeah. of the impact of those human beings had had on your life and uh, it was very moving to for me to to watch that it was also really moving to see the potential that w that those people had reached when yeah. you think of if you hadn't had a consent degree and this I'm not criticizing anybody it's just that you, when you don't have a consent degree where would those folks have ended up mm -hmm. and where would they have sort of eked out the rest of their lives it probably would have been in a uh, Devers or or, mm -hmm. or one of the other big institutions and uh, just that I can't I can't remember who it was um, we, it was it's Chris Cr Shahidi. Chris, right. yeah, and um, he was a young man who graduated um, from Bristol Plymouth, um, and he had muscular dystrophy. And um, shortly after his graduation, he actually moved into a nursing home to get his support needs met. Um, and you know, the the description of the care received is is really heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It was re it was very moving for somebody who was you know somewhat. Um, sort of distanced and uh, it just made me think of how important the work that we that we do is and how important and, and how not seen it is by our by our folks who are working day in and day out um you know last week i started a couple of programs and it is and you were there as well and you knew half the people there mm -hmm. um and that bond between the staff and uh, and the people they get to really know is just very moving and, and just really affirming, I think, for the mm -hmm. kind of work that we do. So, yeah, I, I you know, it, somebody said to me when I worked at DMH once, they said, you never want clinical decisions decided by a judge. And I said, well, I don't know if I agree with that, because if you have a consent decree, that's where the, that's where the expenditure is going to go. Mm -hmm. The state will pay for something that they're legally obliged to do before perhaps they pay for, pay for something else. It's just sad that we have to deal with that. But... You know, interesting to hear you say that we still have work to do with that. And if they took those away, we might be at more risk in terms of caring appropriately for this population. Mm -hmm. But there's a new, it's not a new population. I mean, people have been transitioning from childhood to adulthood for, I don't know, the beginning of time perhaps. Um, but really a lot of thought has been given to this is a mm -hmm. different period in people's lives. Uh, mm -hmm. We know that for people who don't have uh, conditions, it's even more confusing. I think you know. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I, I I think I've told you I have a, a friend of mine in England who has a C five, which is a very very severe um, uh, autism diagnosis. Um, and I watched Louis reach adolescence, and all of the issues of adolescence for boys were in Louis. They mm -hmm. were just absolutely um, id-like. If you know, there was no superego that sort of bore down on that. So, sort of managing to those special needs is is a real speciality, and it's something that we've been looking at recently, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, um, we've worked. Um, with the through the acquired brain injury waiver um and also the moving forward program waiver uh we have over the past five years opened a a, a couple homes um for folks that were in residential schools and transitioned them into the community so it's not necessarily new for us however 
um, more recently, both um, DDS and um, DDS who works with the, the waivers have asked us to provide more services for the turning 22 populations. And so um, we are uh, opening a couple new programs. One is um, in Easton, and it's a duplex, and that will be supporting um, individuals uh, who are um, not necessarily turning 22, but it, it's a, a new group um, through the Acquired Brain Injury and MFP um, waivers. Um, for We also just recently purchased a new property in Brockton, mm-hmm. and that will be for um, turning 22 grouping. And then we're also um, looking at uh, changing a couple of our medical model homes into a turning 22 home. Um, it'll allow us to meet a need that the, the community needs and, and is asking and the funder is asking us to, to deliver on, but also uh, reducing our dependency on nursing. That has been a struggle for us. Yeah, let's talk about that for a minute because that is, <clears throat> you know, as we go forward, that's a bit of a threat to us, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. and I, if you if you don't know this, you really aren't paying attention that nursing, there's a huge nursing shortage in the state. And there are different organizations that can pay a lot higher than us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the rates are just not adequate. Mm-hmm. BAMSI has developed a specialty because we were asked to do that by the state years and years ago. Uh, and actually, the majority of our homes are medical homes, which means that we have to provide nursing to a specific ratio for different levels of medical care. Um, how am I doing with that? <laughs> we have 53 homes, I believe, that have uh, some nursing in, embedded in the staffing patterns. Right. So if, if, if we are, uh, if we know that we're being under-resourced on nursing, we're going to really feel it as opposed mm-hmm. to another organization that might have, let's say, five uh, Correct. homes. So we do have to make a decision, don't we, about do we, do we keep advocating for proper rates, which we're doing. Uh, we'll be giving testimony on March 25th about that to the state. And if that doesn't work, we have to think about providing different levels of care. And it's not about finding a different uh, a different group of people. They're already there uh, in terms of the mm-hmm. uh, emerging adults. Um, uh, but we have to consider that. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that that sort of transitional age youth group would have a different set of challenges. Is that right? Yes. Um, a, a good proportion of the, the referrals we're receiving who are the Turning 22 group um, are individuals with autism. Um, a couple uh, referrals are from the Higashi School, which is is nearby. Mm. Um, we also have a couple referrals from the Perkins School for the Blind, so so people who have visual impairments. Um, so those are areas of expertise that um, we already support folks, and but it's requiring us to really partner with other uh, groups to, to make sure we deliver high quality of services. So question for you, will we design these homes any differently if we're, if we're catering to a different population? Yes, so um, for the individuals that we um, are going to be supporting through the Perkins School, um, in the past we've partnered with the Mass Commission for the Blind and invited them to do a site review. And they've made suggestions um, so that um, 
little things like outlining, having a contrasting color around the doorways so that people who are visually impaired can, it stands out. Um, more adaptive equipment will be in these homes so they can use uh, their the voice active, activated commands. So things like that will be putting into the homes. Um, for the individuals that we support with autism, um, a lot of them um, really benefit from a, a more open floor plan. And so we're working with our facilities department to make sure that the space is appropriate and um, for that group. Extraordinary things that go into this, because I, I think people take for granted, it's like, oh, yeah, we're just building another home. And we've done, certainly before I got here, an awful lot of building of homes. And when you see them, you, you, it's, it's a little bit like, wow, those corridors are really wide and these mm-hmm. doorways are really wide. And, you know, one of the homes that we were at last time, um, one of our persons, of Tony, is, is, is bedridden and he's a big guy and you could he couldn't be in a home um, like you live in because um, it just wouldn't mm-hmm. fit and um, I don't know I, I read uh, Temple Grandin's book um, probably 20 years ago now when it first came out and actually it was about she designed a slaughterhouse that was more mm-hmm. m- more um, humane but as she was talking she said um, she's really interesting she said when I travel I only stay in a holiday inn and, and she goes, you know why? Because they're all the same. They're, and, mm-hmm. and, and she craved that similarity wherever she was. When she said, that's a function of my autism. And she also talked about color decor, which is really important to take into mm-hmm. account for folks and, and you know, calming influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so do we work with somebody specific to do that? Yes. We, well, we've, um, we've had some... Uh, PT, OT, speech and language pathologists who've really developed an expertise. And the Kaizen method is something that we've looked through and we've done the Kaizen walk through their homes yeah. because, you know, we would like to reduce that cognitive load. Yeah. Uh, so when, you know, so there's a, a pattern and similarities and, and, you know, it reduces anxiety. Mm-hmm. Not something you would know, I think, if you weren't working in this in mm-hmm. this field and, and you know is is fascinating so as we you know the other thing that struck me i was talking to somebody who had been um there was a person who had opened the the, the i think it was jack that i was talking to and he said mm-hmm. this person opened the home which i thought was lovely as a person served opened the home couldn't mm-hmm. take ownership um but as those folks you know very different from mental health type organizations where people come and go the people we care for uh, live with us for life mm-hmm. and so the adaptations that we need to make to home sometimes is, yeah. is a big deal and I was talking to Lucas our facilities person about having to change some of the mm-hmm. places that we're in now to accommodate people as they age yeah yeah I mean when we look for properties if it's something we're buying and then um, renovating to fit our needs we do look for um, if at all possible, kind of a ranch, so it's one floor living, so people can age in place there. Um, and when we build, um, like you mentioned, the wide hallways, and we also need to think about the angles which the bedrooms are off the hallways, so that if people um, need supports with bed evacuations, we can wheel out a hospital bed in a in a time that meets the two and a half minutes yeah. <laughs> criteria. Yeah, yeah. which yeah. is incredibly important, but really difficult in some of those circumstances, right. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So there's so much that we have to think about when we're 
uh, when we're taking on new business. Um, you know, uh, Lucas said to me the other day, we're ready to grow. We're ready to grow some more. It's been a bit, a bit of a difficult two years. I don't know if you've noticed, but... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, our video for the board, which is this week, says our goal in 2020 was to keep people alive. And, and it, it's yeah, it sort of was like that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, I'm, we were on a meeting this morning when they were saying that the wastewater... Um, uh, analysis is showing that we could be in for another um, mm-hmm. please I don't want that but you know it does seem like we're in a position where we can begin to look we're doing that with the mm-hmm. with the three properties that we talked about so that's exciting that sort of expansion mm-hmm. of our core business I think is a really good thing mm-hmm. yes no I agree well Jill thank you so much for coming in really appreciate it thank you it's always a pleasure <laughs>